Do you fear change? Life is replete with consistent changes. We go through transitions, maturity, setbacks, ups and downs, twists and turns. So if one fears change, it's inevitable that fear will be a major factor at every juncture when there's a transition from one state to another. All growth, by definition, is a form of change. You're going out of one state, one paradigm, and growing into another paradigm. So this is a critical question that we all have to ask. Do I fear change? And what can you do about it? Because to make any move in life, whether you're stuck in a bad relationship or in a bad job or just in a bad state of mind, and you fear change, you may end up just sticking with the status quo, with the inertia. As they say, the known evil is better than the unknown one. Fear will paralyze you and not let you really move. So please join me in this very important discussion on do you fear change? What can you do about it and really grow and navigate the vicissitudes of life? Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and welcome. The topic of this talk will be, Do You Fear Change? This program is dedicated in honor of Yishai Menachem, Ad Vashira, and Yarden Mechal. It's a very important question to ask yourself about change in your life. Do you fear change? Why? Because life is synonymous with change. Every moment, things are changing, sometimes more obvious than others. But every moment you breathe, your heart is beating. We are moving, mobile creatures, and as such, we're a constant flux. Just as the seasons change, so too do we go through changes. Our growth, our maturity, we age. Life circumstances change. You may move one relationship to another, one job, another job. So if fear is associated with these changes, especially the more dramatic changes, that's a critical issue to address. That may be the reason that many of us resist making a move or a change, even when it's needed, because the fear factor comes in. And we prefer the status quo, the inertia. And don't ever underestimate that power. So this is a vital, vital question to ask. And let's really break it into two parts. One is fear itself. Fear is one of those invisible enemies that is often overlooked of how much impact it has on us. Because fear is not necessarily loud. 
it's not necessarily trembling in fright. Fear can be very passive, very quiet. It just freezes you, it paralyzes you from making a move. So you can really ask the question, how much does fear play a role in your life in general? But especially when it's associated with something that's change. As they say in the world of healing, that the known evil is very often preferable to the unknown one, which is why many people stay in bad marriages, in unhealthy situations, in dysfunctional relationships and situations, because at least I know it's predictable. Meaning the problems are predictable. Whereas if I go into a new state, who says what will happen? Maybe it'll be more more difficult. Now this only gets amplified and enhanced when you ask yourself the the question of fear, of change in, in context of growth. All growth means by definition change. When you grow from one state to another, you're moving from one place to the other. How many of our fears are not allowing us to really become the person we can become, to actualize our potential, to climb the mountain, to grow, in whatever way that is? So there's fear of failure, but there can even be more fear of success. And again, it's the unknown that is really the factor here. So to break the question into two, as I said, one is the question of fear itself, and the other is how we deal with change. Some would prefer the comfort zone of what you know and are familiar with than the discomfort that's required to move into another paradigm, into another reality, into another state of being. So however you twist and turn it, we are all facing this issue all the time. As I said, it's sometimes more blatant. The change that happens from moment to moment or day to day may not be that significant or blatant in our lives. But when it comes to making big decisions, whether I should change my job, should I move to another location? Should I move from one relationship to another? If there's a crisis or a challenge, what to do? That's where it becomes glaring, our attitudes to it. And the fact is that many people do not get out of situations and don't move on because of the fear of the changes that are there. Now, you can make the argument, it's completely natural to fear change. If I'm comfortable where I am, and I know my surroundings, and I know the coordinates, and I predict, it's very predictable, I know the, the, the assembly line of my life. I know which coffee shop I go to. I know which grocery store. I know where I shop. I know the people around me and so on. Why do we insist that uh, that fear of, that, of, of moving, changing that is a problem? It's natural. And indeed it is. Because we're not necessarily talking about a fear of danger. Why should you get out of that routine? But as I said earlier, growth demands challenging your own comfort zone. So that's number one. Number two, the fact is the human being by definition is, as I said before, in flux. We're constantly in a mobile state. So even though the coordinates or the backdrop and the props in our lives may be the same, but it's the human spirit that is restless, like a flame that's flickering. And when you stop that from moving, 
from that natural and healthy restlessness or angst. I'm not talking about anxiety. I'm not talking about extremes. When you stop that, you're basically slowing down your very, we'll call it psychological metabolism, which requires movement, because that's by definition what a human being is about. So there's no way that you're going to be happy in the real way. This is one of the reasons many people live vicariously through sports, through Hollywood, through, super, through, through different heroes and heroines, through fantasy, through games. Because in a way, you're experiencing the changes that you're observing in others, and it may even be not real. It could be complete fantasy, complete fiction. But you live through those characters, the characters in a soap opera, whether it's an actual soap opera or whatever form or shape it takes in life. And the way you're creating the delusion of movement, but it's not you. You're watching others. It's like sitting in a stadium and watching others play the game. Very different when you're the character and you have to deal with it. So it's a form of escapism. Now, we all need a little measure of escapism, but if it's in place of the true movement that you need to be making, that instead of you experiencing growth, movement, then again, what's happening is that you are not being the person you should be and living up to your great potential. And that's why it's so important to address. Truth be told, most people will not challenge their fears until it becomes unbearable. Because most of us will choose the path of least resistance, which means if your situation is tolerable, even if it's not a healthy one, you'll more likely stay there than make change which is less tolerable. In other words, you'll choose whatever is the easiest path, the known evil over the unknown, the known problems over the unknown problems, which explains extreme situations like the Stockholm Syndrome, where, without going into the, the graphic details, a person will stay in an abusive relationship, even physically abusive or other forms of abuse. Even though you're being hurt, you're being physically hurt again and again because you get comfortable. It's like the get falling in love with your captor, with your kidnapper. Because the mind plays games with us and you almost create, as, as bizarre as it sounds and ironic as it sounds, you get security in an insecure situation because you're, you're familiar with it. And, and when you can expect it, in a way it becomes a little more comfortable. So toxins can be your natural status quo. No one should ever know of that, but it's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenon, it's a reality. So let's address this at the core root of it all and try to understand, first of all, where the fears come from. And most importantly, how can we counter them? What can we do about it? So we're going to dissect the anatomy of fear itself right now. What exactly is fear? Fear, I will just translate and define as follows. When you don't feel comfortable and secure and confident in the tools that you have to deal with a given situation, that will in turn evoke fear. So on a very basic level, you're walking late at night in the street, you hear footsteps behind you, so you don't know whether you're able to, who it is, what it is. You don't know if you can protect yourself. So fear will, 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 will rise to the surface because of this unknown situation and you don't know if you can control it. If you knew that you had the weapons and everything you need to defend yourself, there may be 
a tinge of fear because the situation demands it. But that's a healthy form of fear. If we didn't have any fear, we wouldn't react to, to crisis. We wouldn't react. It would be like having no nerves and not feeling pain. But it wouldn't paralyze you because you have at the same time the tools you need. However, in a situation where it's an unknown and you don't feel confident that you have the resources and the tools to deal with that situation, fear will creep in and become a factor in your life. Now, if it happens once, you know, once you woke that night at night, that's what happened. But if it starts happening incessantly, consistently, then you start de- developing a fear factor. And the classic example, as sad as it may be, is our homes. If you grow up in a home, and we'll talk a natural, healthy home, because it's always good for contrast purposes, where your parents, your father and mother, your siblings, your family unit, provides you with security. You come home from school, and you know dinner is waiting, your mother is going to greet you with a smile, your father will come home from work, your mother will come home from work, you know where they are, they'll tuck you into bed. In the morning there's a routine, and you can rely on it, what's happening, you're given, your confidence is building, you're being validated, and you feel the security and the strength you need to deal with whatever's coming your way. At even a younger age, Obviously, in our mother's womb, a child for nine months is building up a security blanket. Literally. You're protected completely in the womb, eating, drinking everything your mother eats and drinks, breathing the same, completely protected. So you have a big head start. You're not just coming out into a hostile world to figure it out. And then in the early years, again, in a nurturing, healthy home, as soon as you're born, your mother and father cradle you and cuddle you and embrace you, nurture you like a flower that's watered, so that allows you to blossom because you're getting everything you need to build the confidence, to explore, and even to make mistakes because you know there's someone there behind you, someone there that you can lean on. Now, of course, on a conscious level, a child may not be thinking of all of this, but that's what's happening. By contrast now, If that's not there, God forbid. If when a child is born, we know the separation anxiety of a child that's taken away from its mother or mother from the child. And later in life, in the early formative years, a child comes home and doesn't know where their parent is. Absenteeism. That's emotional abuse. We're not getting now into the reasons and what's the story with the parent. We're talking now from the child's point of view. And it's unpredictable. So what happens, you start developing fear because what, you, you have no coordinates to rely on. You come home from school, you don't know if someone will be home. Your father comes home from work, you don't know whether he'll be drunk or not drunk. Will he be there, will he not be there? Will he be angry or not angry? Your parents are fighting. I'm just giving different scenarios. It can get worse, of course. Bring abuse into the picture and so on. And the fear only doubles and triples Far more than that, actually. Exponentially. Because not only are you now having the lack of a secure routine, it's actually being disrupted, especially if it's coming from the places and people that love you. So what does it do to a person's psyche, to a child's psyche? It completely throws you. So again, once, twice, we all have resilience and we can cushion the blow. 
a disappointment, or something unexpected. But if it starts happening consistently, consistently, as we hear, and I have so sadly heard from so many, my life was consistently inconsistent. That was the only thing I could expect is the unexpected, because I had no idea what will come next from my parents and from others around me. So what do you think happens? You develop a consistent fear, 24-7, even if it's not always, you're not always aware of it. And that fear drives everything as an invisible force. Sometimes it's more visible than others. So then, of course, when that child grows into an adult and something that you have not expected happens, or there's a need to face a problem, should you stay at your job? Should you not? Should you stay in a relationship? Should you make a commitment in, in a relationship? Commitment issues. So now that fear all comes into play and, to, and translate into distrust, not feeling secure, not feeling confident, not having the courage. So you retreat. You avoid. Yes, you can engage to some extent. If you're intelligent and you learned how to maneuver, you can cover your tracks. But what's happening is, however, behind it all, whether you're always aware of it or not, there's a fear. So the, the antidote is very clear as well. Not to suggest that it's easy, because now we're talking about a built-up fear that has over, over time has now become part of your reality, your armor, become part of your second nature, so to speak. But when we understand the root of it, then what's the response? The, response, the, the antidote, the, the counterforce, is to develop things that you could depend upon, that you could rely on. So even if you didn't get it completely in your youth, in your childhood, develop it now. In other words, you can't fight fear by just squashing the fear. You have to develop the tools that will give you that strength and confidence and say, yes, it may be a challenging situation, but I have the tools. So let's talk about those tools now. But I want to add something before I go there. The critical thing to remember is not to become resigned to your situation. Many people think part of the fear makes you think it's all lost. I can never really develop that type of trust because I've been hurt. I'm damaged goods. Again, it may not be those words, but that's the sentiment. So it's critical to know that there is hope and that you, did not, you are not born with fear, that you have what it takes to rebuild and access. It's going to require de- digging deeper and building those resources, but you need to have the confidence. And the second thing, you need people around you that believe in you, because sometimes it's very difficult to do it yourself. Because a person in fetters, a person who is in a difficult situation, cannot necessarily lift themselves up. You can't always solve a problem from where the problem originated. So you have to dig deeper, and sometimes we need, I wouldn't say sometimes, I'd say all times, a mentor, a friend, a colleague, friends, And most importantly, not to have people who are reinforcing your fears. Because many of us will go and gravitate to situations that are dysfunctional like the ones that help shape us. So all that needs to be taken into account. So how do you build it up? Well, thank God we have a soul. And thank God we are mobile creatures and we're not stuck in the past. So as much as we may have assumed a new attitude and fears and insecurities, that's not you. And your soul is your salvation. So you need to access that soul. So this brings me back 
to a theme I've been speaking about in the last while. You need your spiritual spa. Now, spa is often seen as something leisure, luxury. No, but spa could also be vital for sustenance, just as we need food and drink and exercise and hygiene and sleep and so on. The soul also needs nourishment. Remember we said before, the flower needs to be watered. The child is nurtured. And the confidence and security and the, and the resulting trust are all come from an environment that you can rely on. So you need to be able to access your soul to be able to rely on it. That means immersing yourself in a spiritual spa. Spa is an acronym for study, prayer, action. Cognitive conditioning, study, emotional conditioning, prayer, the P, and behavioral conditioning, the A of spa, action. Which means on a daily basis, daily, just like you have to eat every day and drink every day, you dedicate time to immerse your soul, immerse your being into studying something. And I don't mean mathematics or physics, even though it has value as well, but something more spiritual. Something that lifts you up into a more transcendent space. Why is that so vital? Because you want to you get your mind in a different place. Remember, fear affects your mind, your heart, and your, and your emotions, and your actions. Your cognitive, emotional, and behavioral tools. So you want your mind to go into a more pure place. It's like going into an oasis where you can dream and you can imagine. And especially spiritual activity, spiritual cognitive journey, so to speak. I teach every morning a class in heavy, I would call it heavy mysticism, Hasidic thought, called Ayim Beis. It's an acronym for the year, the Hebrew year, 5672, which corresponds to 1912, because it was delivered in 1912. We're talking about 110 years ago. And the people who participate in it may not have all the background, but tell me that it takes them on a journey, as it does me. To another place, you talk about the spiritual dynamics and mechanics of our soul, of the cosmos. You talk about the superconscious. It lifts you up to another place. So that's the cognitive. Every day, it could be 15 minutes, it could be half hour, whatever works. Make it work. If, it's too, if you take upon yourself too much, most likely you'll ha- you won't stick with it. The second thing is prayer. Prayer means emotional workout. Emotional conditioning. It's the service of the heart. So there are things where we get our mind into a more transcendent place, and then emotionally, and that can be done through a prayer, through a song, where you feel emotionally. Now, this doesn't mean it can't come together with the cognitive. Sometimes when you're studying something or reading something that really takes you to another place, it also lifts your emotions. But the key in the second component is that it should also have an emotional component. It shouldn't just be academic. Somewhere, it makes your heart melt, makes your heart feel, like a song does. It doesn't have to be rational. It's not irrational. It's super rational, but it, but it makes you feel something different. Because remember, fear, besides being something in the mind, is also something in the heart. It just freezes you up, and it becomes something more powerful than you. It's like an impulse, reflexive, almost especially when someone who's developed long-term fears. 
So what you really want to do is to bring an emotion and a healthy emotion. Remember, just like we only have 24 hours in the day, and if you use those 24 hours for fighting demons and fears and insecurities, you just don't have time for anything positive. You bring in an hour of positive activity, so at least 23, 20, 21 hour out of the 24 has brought fresh water. So if a person has toxins inside of them, the first thing is bring fresh air. You may not get rid of all the toxins, but you begin the process. So if we have emotional fears, bring in some, some positive emotions, something that you know lifts you up, inspires you, empowers you, even, for, even if it's for a short while. Because now you've introduced something healthy. So it's like opening the window in a very toxic environment. So fresh air has come in. Slowly the fresh air will replace the toxins the more you introduce it and assimilate it in your life. And then comes the third, which is actions. Cognitive behavioral conditioning. From the cognitive to the emotional to the behavioral. And that's actually acts of kindness. Even random kindness. Random acts of kindness. You meet someone on a, on, when you commute on the train or on a bus, say hello, smile, maybe get into a conversation. Very pleasant way. Be pleasant, even if you're not in the mood. You see someone in need, offer them some help, charity. Maybe they need some time, some advice. There are always situations. Volunteer to help, whether it's children that are in need or others. Anything that serves another, you can do it online. Make sure to send out every day a text or an email to people, a nice thought that, you, that you've received. You don't even have to write your own. You can write your own. That would be beautiful, even greater. So you're constantly, what are you doing? You're also becoming proactive. But action is critical. Why not just the cognitive and emotional? Because action is ultimately something that is of substance. It creates real change. So you need all three, the spa, the study, prayer, and action. So two more things happen when you're doing this. One is you're actually creating positive energy in your life, which is a counter to negative energy called fear and all other negative energies that come with it. And two, you're creating something predictable that's positive as well. Remember, fear comes from a situation where you're not in control, where you don't know what you, you don't think you have the tools. So everything is unpredictable. Create predictable situation, even though you may have had a life. And I, I spoke extreme cases, but even, even more subtle forms of it, where you were not always in control because the, the, those the adults around you were not available or inconsistent, erratic, and so on. So now create situations that you can predict, that you can rely on, that are healthy. The mere fact that every day you start, you immerse yourself in the spot is creating a consistency that you can rely on. You've created for yourself a security blanket, an anchor, a foundation, if you wish. And the more you do it on a consistent basis, you're creating security. Which leads me to also surrounding yourself with people that provide you security. Not the people that are similar to ones where we recreate the insecurities of our lives. And as such, what you're doing is developing the strength. And then change becomes far, far easier to deal with. 
Because it's not change that terrifies us. It's the, it's the change itself. Is what terrifies us is that we don't feel the confidence that we can deal with the change. This is equivalent of a swimmer becoming a good swimmer. What's the difference between a bad swimmer and a good swimmer? A good swimmer also doesn't know what's coming ahead of you, but you have the confidence that you can navigate. Remember the confidence, and therefore the courage. When you don't have the confidence, then fear takes over. So you can navigate whatever comes your way, all the changes, all the twists and turns. Not only, not only can you navigate, you will embrace it. You embrace it because when you feel that confidence, then you say, you know what? Time has come to move to the next level, to grow and climb. And it becomes part of your reality. Now, there's always going to be, as you, because we're humans, where something, a new situation, you always want to evaluate, is it the right thing for me? So not every fear of change is always a bad thing. You want to always evaluate. Maybe it's not important to change. Maybe it's not such a good option. Maybe the job you're in or the relationship you're in is excellent. Or it's good, and, and, the, and the offer you're getting may sound appealing, so it's always important to evaluate. But you will have less of the resistance that's coming from an unhealthy place, from that paralysis, from the fear that, that traps us. Because you've built those inner strengths. So essentially what we're doing is, just as when we talk about attachment disorder, or dysfunctional attachments, as a result, when you don't have healthy attachments, you look for unhealthy, you get attached to the wrong things, which is addictions and so on. The same thing is here. When you don't have those foundations to rely on, the security, so you develop fears and you're like a, you're out there at sea without a rudder, without a direction, without a compass, without a GPS. So the goal is to create coordinates and to create foundations that counter that. And as you do, your fear becomes weaker. Is it easy? No, it's not easy, especially if it's deeply rooted fears. But it's a, it's a uh, direction. Remember, in life, it's not about always getting to the destination. It's not always about a quick fix. It's about knowing that you're going in the right direction. And that alone also builds security. Because fear breeds fear. The greatest fear is the fear of fear. So you don't know where you're going, so what happens? You become more fearful till the point you just stop because you don't want to make any move because it's all driven by fear. When you start feeling you're going the right direction, that turn also builds confidence and hence less fear. So obviously this is a topic that needs much more elaboration. But I hope what I've presented offers some key elements and methodologies that each of us can use and implement. And again, have friends around you that support you. A mentor. A soul doctor. Anything that helps support this approach and helps support you in giving you the vote of confidence you need to be the greatest you can be. And may you indeed be blessed and each of us be blessed with that clarity, with that confidence, with that courage to be able to forge ahead and take on new challenges in an exciting way, explore new possibilities, open up new horizons as you spread your wings, perhaps like never before, in taking on the day, 
and Carpe Diem, seize the day, seize the moment, seize the time, and using each day to propel you to even greater heights. This has been Simon Jacobson. It's always an honor to share a few words. Love to hear your feedback, your comments, your thoughts, questions, suggestions for other programs and topics to cover. And please also share, pay it forward, share with others. Meaningfullife.com is our website where you can find a wide array of materials on this topic and many related topics, really covers the entire spectrum of the human experience and beyond. And please stay in touch. Thank you so much. Be blessed. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.